The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of First United Methodist Church in Beaumont, Texas. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to love your city with the heart of Christ. Shall we pray together? Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable together in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, our strength and our salvation, our refuge and our deliverer. Amen. You will do well to be attentive to this as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. It's what Peter wrote to the early church and to us today. One of my distant acquaintance friends, people, you know, those, those folks that you know and you've known for a long time, but, but you've never sat down and had a meal together with. But you think you know them, especially because you see all their stuff on the Facebook, right? One of those. My dear sister Meredith Wendy Mills has, has started raising chickens. And, and she said the chickens this past week, she said the chickens have hit their full stride. And she said everywhere she goes, she takes about a dozen eggs to give away because they've got more eggs from their chickens than they can eat themselves. And this last week, someone was over at their house doing some work and commented about their fruit trees that they're beginning to grow and said, we have more grapefruit. Our freezer is so full of grapefruit, we can't put one more in. Would you like some grapefruit? And Meredith said, yes. So she received two dozen grapefruit and gave back a dozen eggs. I'm thinking that's a pretty good return. And then, and then she said this, humans, when, when, when we cultivate something for ourselves, when, when we put the time in and get down in the dirt of life, when we put the effort in to raise something that will bear fruit, we end up with an abundance. And in that abundance, we have more than enough to share. And she said this, humans, humans are meant to nourish each other. 
I believe this with all that I am. Transformed people transform people. And I believe that as a congregation, we believed that long before I was even two years old. And the windows that I see every Sunday morning bear witness to that truth. Their names are Carrie and Calvin, Huss and Luther, Lydia and Chrysostom, Barnabas and Luke, Columba and Francis, Tyndall and Wycliffe, Stephen and Silas, Wesley and Whitfield, Susanna and Charles Webb and Heck, Asbury and Coke, Athanasius and Priscilla. The names and pictures of saints artistically encapsulated in windows who have fed the hungry, given drink to the thirsty, who have clothed the naked, who have provided homes for those who have no roofs but the open skies, who have visited the sick and the imprisoned. And that short short list is the very tippy-tippy top of the iceberg of the people of faith who to this day and by God's grace continue to cultivate lives of deep faith practice that usher in mountaintop experiences so that we can have the strength to live through the valleys of life. That's why we have mountaintops, if we happen to have those, and not everybody does. I've heard testimony from countless Christians who say, I have grown up in the church and I have always known God's love and I have always felt God's presence and I've never been to a mountaintop and I've never been to a valley. Praise God. And I have heard countless testimony of Christians who have been on so many mountaintops and others who have been through so many valleys in life. That this I know. We live more in between the mountaintops and the depths of the valleys than we do in either of those two places. So what do we do? I mean, we hear this great story of Jesus taking Peter and James and John up to the mountain to pray when his clothes turned dazzling white. And we hear that Elijah and Moses appeared with him. Maybe Moses had the tablets again, and Elijah had the mantle of the stole that he gave on to Elisha. We're not told why they knew or how they knew. 
but we can understand that to say that in Christ all of the law and the prophets are fulfilled. And in that moment, the bright, shining glory of God encompassed them. So, so what do we do? It's the first time in all my studies of this passage that I paid attention to the little footnote that suggested looking at 2 Peter also. You will do well to be attentive to this as to a lamp shining in the dark place until the day that the morning dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Have you ever heard the story of how we got called Methodists? Charles Wesley was studying at Oxford with some of his buddies, and, and John Wesley came along a little bit later, and, and they started this club they called the Holiness Club. I, 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 don't, I don't know what your experience in academia has been like, but um, I don't know if I'd run to join the Holiness Club. But they did. And they, they prayed at certain times. They fasted on certain days. They found somebody among them to preside and celebrate Eucharist every day. They developed a method for their faith practice. And as a term of derision, they got called Methodists. And then, on May 24th, 1738, Wesley wrote this. In the evening, I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street where one was reading Luther's preface to the Epistle to the Romans. About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone, for salvation, and an assurance was given me that He had taken away even my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. Do you know when the last time he talked about his Aldersgate experience was? Shortly after he wrote that down. It was a mountaintop experience that he rarely ever mentioned after it happened. Why? Because he was built, busy cultivating his life. He was busy cultivating his life. I talked with somebody this week at Oyster Supper, in fact, who said, you know, 
Houston is a mess, and I'm in the middle of it in traffic, and, and I finally feel like God is answering my prayers for patience. I said, oh, brother, I quit praying for patience years ago. He said, why is that? I said, because patience isn't a gift. It's a fruit of the Spirit. You, you remember them. Help me. If you know them, say them. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I have to use nine fingers because there are nine fruit. Paul wrote it and called them singular fruit, not fruits, because it's a fruit salad, not a buffet that I get to pick and choose which ones I get. And they are virtues, which means that I must cultivate them and grow them in my life. And the more that I pray for the nine fruit of the Spirit, the more opportunity God will be faithful to provide me opportunity to cultivate them more deeply in my life. So I quit praying for patience years and years and years ago. Because I don't want to be responsible for having to cultivate more and more and... Oh, wait. Pastor, we need to talk with me after service. Because I don't get off that hook, do I? No. So what do we do with our mountaintop experiences? What do we do when we are in the depths of the valley? What do we do in the in-between times? This last couple of weeks, an old movie's been on the TV. Not, not really, really old, like when they were black and white old, but newer than that, but still old. And the main character, Chuck Noland, says this. I had, he, he was stranded on an island, it's Castaway played by Tom Hanks. I, was, I had power over nothing, and that's when this feeling came over me like a warm blanket. A heart strangely warm. I knew somehow that I had to stay alive. Somehow I had to keep breathing. Even though there was no reason to hope, and all of my logic said I would never see this place again, so that's what I did. I stayed alive. I kept breathing. And one day my logic was proven all wrong because a tide came in and gave me a sail. And now I am here again. I'm back in Memphis talking to you, and I have ice in my glass. And I know what I have to do now. i got to keep breathing because tomorrow the sun will rise, and who knows what the tide could bring in. My brothers and sisters, we live in a tumultuous time that is more exacerbated and difficult because of technology and social media, media than it is made easy. And we have to keep breathing. And we have to keep practicing our faith faithfully because God is faithful all the time. And so how do we do that? I, 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 I know how I do that. And, and, and I don't keep this paper before me every day. But I'm the one who wrote it, and so it, it's become a part of me. 
And I wonder each day, towards the end of the day, how have I participated in grace? In first receiving it so that it may be planted deeply in my life so that I might cultivate it and bear fruitful grace to share with others, working on behalf of somebody in somebody's life before they know that it is God working in their life. That's called provenient grace. Working with someone and walking alongside someone as they come to faith in Jesus Christ to form a personal relationship with the Savior and Lord. Justifying grace. And then earnestly striving all of my days to be changed even if just a little. To be made more and more to resemble Christ today. We call that sanctifying grace. So how do, how do we do that? Wesley didn't leave us to figure it out by ourselves so we don't have to reinvent the wheel. He said practice the work of piety. That is acts of devotion, of praying myself in my closet, of searching the Scriptures, of fasting and abstinence. And Wesley thought these practices particularly were so important that of every pastor since Wesley's time in Methodism, we have been asked, will you teach abstinence by precept, teaching it, and by practice, doing it? And acts of worship, gathering together with the community of faith, tending to the ministry of Scripture and the Lord's Supper, and the works of mercy, being compassionate one-on-one -on -one with those who are in need, working in society for justice, communal actions, working for the greater good of all. And when all of that doesn't make sense, I come back to Wesley's general rules for us. And I remember what Rotarians say of the things I think, say, or do. And I ask that of myself today in my thoughts and in my words and in my actions have I done no harm and have I avoided all evil have I done all the possible good I can do today and have I attended all of the ordinances of God and I ask myself on tomorrow when by God's grace I rise to new life with Christ what can I do to cultivate a deeper faith? Peter instructs us, we will do well to be attentive to this as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts. The day has dawned, the morning star has arisen, and Christ is alive and well. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. 
If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.lovebeaumont.com.